This is the Omnichannel Marketer, the show where we get real about what it takes to build a brand, create a seamless omnichannel experience, and drive customer LTV across D2C, Amazon, and retail. I'm Kate Stevens, the CEO of Bridge. Join me for unfiltered conversations from the trenches of e-commerce. We'll unpack strategy and leave you with tactical advice you can use today to drive your business forward. Let's rock and roll. Hi, everyone. This is Kate Stevens, your host of the Omnichannel Marketer. I'm excited to have Eli Weiss on the podcast today. Hi, Eli. How are you? I'm well. It's so good to be here. I was binging Matt Huron's episode from earlier this year, and now I'm like, how do I how do I remotely live up to that? But <laughs> I'm excited to talk Omnichannel. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, you bring up a good point. You know, I think Matt obviously spoke to his very specific experience with Huron versus we'll have a a slightly different approach to today's episode, you know, given you've worked at multiple brands. So why don't you just start by providing a little bit of a background on some of your personal background and, and the brands that you've worked at? Yeah, I, I grew up in Jersey, number two of 10 children, very ultra-Orthodox Jewish world. Didn't think I'd ever get out into the real world. Most people in my universe kind of grow up and getting a job and, you know, their cousin's company or their uncle's company or their father's friend, you know, working somewhere local. I started traveling in, in 2014, ended up in Israel. Very long story short, got stuck there for four years, had no high school education, no college education. And my first kind of foray into this was like, I loved e-commerce. I loved the the idea of buying and selling things online, was selling things as a, as a kid on eBay. Loved the idea of jumping into a startup because that was like the only space where you can just like, if I can do it, it's a meritocracy. If not, I'm kind of back to where I started. So I jumped into a, a luggage startup, which I've shared in, in the past, but it's kind of this outlandish Kickstarter brand that was multiple years late. And my first, I did everything from, from ops and logistics, you know, shipping to 64 countries, but also like running the Amazon ads and the Facebook ads and the writing the emails and doing the customer support and did all the things, liked all the things. It was like a real life MBA. Four years in, I realized the customer experience and retention the, and the convergence of the two was something I was really passionate about. And then kind of just started a startup that failed multiple years into this, got US D2C. So jumped into a brand called Simulate in, in early 2020, which was then called Nugs. And then by the grace of God, got lucky and got pulled into Olipop very early. I was number 16 or 17, was there for almost two years, kind of saw the, the ride of a lifetime. And we can talk a lot of Omnichannel there. And then kind of got pulled into Jones almost two years ago, again, kind of early on and saw the the incredible rise of, of you know, Jones being a nine-figure brand. So really different spaces all in the CPG universe, but it's been almost a decade and it's been fun. That's awesome. So yeah, why don't we dive into, you know, two of your more recent experiences, Olipop and Jones Road Beauty. Would love to know how each of those brands approached omni-channel distribution. You know, how do they think about the different channels differently or, you know, cohesively? I think the beauty of of a beverage is is this retail idea where you see a can of soda for $2.99 and you're like, wow, that's outrageous. You end up pulling the trigger for whatever reason, buying it, walking outside of, of Sprouts and drinking it. And you're like, wow, that's incredible. So so the the experience kind of like the discovery and the experience are so close versus buying online is just this very, very long journey where you see one ad, you see a second ad, a third ad, you kind of get pulled in, you, you place the order, 
after going through the homepage and the PDP and you have this really, really long convoluted journey until it gets you with USPS and DHL passing it, passing it back and forth. Sometimes it ends up in Guam before it gets to you. And by the time it gets to you, you're like, wait, what did I buy? Why did I buy this? This was so expensive. The only emails I got were people telling me to reorder and it's just convoluted. So the, the goal with Olipop, you know, when I joined, it was mid COVID and the goal was, you know, retail has slowed down. How can we take this retail experience and bring it online? Olipop started as a retail first business, then went online. At a certain point, online was actually a, a large portion of the business. And now obviously they went from 5,000 stores to 30,000 stores now retail is again a huge chunk. But what's interesting about, about Omnichannel at Olipop was we built this incredible online experience, but the reality is if beverages enjoy cold right after you get it. And the and the goal was how can we bring people back and forth and, and try to deeply understand their journey, which you know, like you can piece together numeral data with with spins data and try to figure out basket analysis. But realistically the the goal was always like how can we create legendary exciting experiences like a minion collaboration or or camila cabello collaboration how can we create these kind of like unique experiences online while still keeping retail as a bread and butter jones is, is an entirely different universe just because they were you know 100 percent d2c or 99 percent d2c but we still had our own retail locations so it was always like an interesting conversation as to like somebody comes into re- into a retail store buys a mascara, how do we get them back online? And the question is like, do we even want to get them back online? And deeply understanding what that journey should look like, realistically, it's whatever the customer wants. But we've we've continued to kind of go down the rabbit hole of like, what does it look like? What does an unboxing look like? If we do, if we do want to lead somebody to a web page, you know, like how do we how do we leverage like a QR to kind of lead somebody to to a page and what do we want to say on that page? So a lot of just kind of understanding where a customer is in their journey and kind of being an add-on versus what you typically see is just spam, 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 buy more, buy more, buy more. We don't care where you buy, just buy more versus trying to get a better understanding of where the customer would want to be and be at the right place at the right time to kind of like, if the person wants X, we're there to sell them X. And I like to think of it as like a non-cringe upsell journey or a non-cringe cross-sell journey. And how do you do that? Like, how do you isolate what the customer wants at what period of time in a non-cringe way? I think the, the, the two things. So number one, I'd say starting with the data, we, we were, we were looking at, you know, at a certain point in time, we went through, we were using peel, we went through all the data and we're like, okay, it's interesting that most of our customers are online customers again, because we, we only have three retail locations, but we were seeing that a lot of these customers buy online and then kind of they, they go back and forth, right? So seeing that, and then we, we, we did a lot of both macro and micro. Like I spoke to 65 customers over the last six months on really long Zoom calls to try to understand like what drives you into a retail store. And, and with beauty, it's kind of more straightforward, right? It's like this idea that I really want to understand to make sure it works for me. And then how can we replicate that experience online? Because you're not always going to be able to hop into our Montclair store. And, and a lot of the kind of apprehension was, will this look good on me? So it's like, how can we, how can we have models that go across every skin tone? How can we have a, a killer return policy and exchange policy that if you mess up and you get the wrong shade, you can still return it. And then it's a lot of like, okay, how do we create an experience on both of these sides that drive people to try both? Because the ideal customer is somebody that does both. With Olipop, it was a lot more difficult just because you still don't have as much data as you'd like to. 
And I think that's, you're seeing some brands kind of like leverage, like what you guys do is like, it's, it's interesting to see brands leverage that as a, as not just like a repurchase mechanism, but more so like a, a customer journey mechanism to take people kind of almost like you walk into Nordstrom, one of two things happens. Either some guy comes over to you and tries to sell you pants or somebody comes and asks you like, Hey, what are you here for? Let me walk you through. And it's usually the, the, the former is cringe and the latter is what makes you kind of have a fantastic journey to come back because if not, I'll just go buy it, buy it online. So it's like, how can we be the, the non cringe by understanding like, Hey, what are you here for today? For Jones, it's a lot of quiz, right? Like we, 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 they take the quiz. We kind of know what they're interested in. We know their skin type. We know what they have purchased in the past. The problem, which I think is a billion dollar idea is, is how do we kind of like take all these data points and create this ideal customer journey and then kind of like, okay, here's based on all the data points, this is where they'd want to actually pull, pull the trigger on a second purchase based on everything they've purchased. We know what it is based on the open of the email rate that we've seen with them, the amount of times they open text, text is the ideal place to, to, to go now. And then having a platform that builds that out. Have you done anything to you know, quantify the value of a customer that is retail and D to C, especially at Jones, given you have more data? It's been, uh, yeah, a lot higher. I can't share the numbers, but substantially okay. higher. We were able okay. to see that customers that, that what we saw is generally the customers that started in retail. If I remember correctly, the customers started in retail and you know, those were the, the most highest and, and it makes sense, right? Because they kind of came in here, they probably got the right product because they were able to try it in retail. They probably had a great relationship with our person IRL. These are customers that are a little older, so they, they still love the old kind of old fashioned retail moment. And then it's like, once they know what they want, they got excited about the products they've ordered. We made sure that the first product is correct. Then we can kind of go much wider online. The the question then becomes like, if we have three retail stores and they're all in the tri-state area, how do we create that experience for somebody in California? And that was kind of when we started pushing, like pushing our concierge shade matching, pushing the idea that you can always exchange it, doing a ton of education. I wrote, I wrote about that recently in the newsletter, but doing a ton of education on every single part of the customer journey to make sure like, if there's one thing we make sure it's that you understand how to use the product, because ultimately every single customer that was unhappy with us, we, we, we ask them when they return, like they go through loop and they, we say like, Hey, why do you return it? a huge chunk can easily be resolved by making sure they A, get the correct product for them, B, know how to use it. And that was like my last year and a half was like, how do we educate on every single part of the customer journey? Say it again and again and again and again, because as many times as you'll say it, they probably could use hearing it again. So, you know, how is that slightly different from like going back to the Olipop where it sounds like retail first brand moved digitally native because of COVID and they had to, but now, you know, truly this omni-channel brand where retail leads, but, you know, needing that like faster cold beverage in your hand, you know, how, how do you think they think about like the right timing, the right customer experience there? If I think about, I, I think about Olipop in, in, in this kind of like interesting what if question and, and what if Olipop wasn't in retail? Like what if Olipop was only online or what if Olipop was primarily online? I think you'd see two things. I think you'd see a lot more focus on education because it's very hard to get somebody to spend $249 on a, on a soda when elsewhere you can get a Coke for 75 cents. A lot more focus on education. 
I think what the, the, the convergence of brand and education and hype, like those three things together, and maybe brand and hype are one are one and the same. But if not for that, if not for that huge kind of like X factor they had, I think they'd, they'd be having trouble, right? Like, how do you get a huge population? And when I started Olipop, the customer was 35, you know, affluent mom. Now the customer is Gen Z, millennial, boomers, everything, right? And I think a lot of that is a brand play. If they were only online, you'd still have a brand play, but I think they'd focus a lot more on education. The fact that an average customer walks into Sprouts and picks one up and goes out, not even knowing what it does for you long-term, what the benefit of fiber is, et cetera, et cetera. And they're just buying it because it tastes good. I'd, I'd reckon that a lot of people don't even know how much fiber is in it. That was like a big play on, on selling online. So I think that's probably a really, really strange dynamic if you were to think back and say like, they, they got away with a lot less education than I thought they would. And I think it's because they had this incredible brand success that people are just like the same way you'd spend 650 on a frap. It's a moment like holding, holding an Olipop. It, it's like, you feel good about yourself. It's, it's like a, it's something you're excited to walk around with. And I think that, you know, like that's the kind of thing when I think about education, I think like the only shortcut away from education is having a product that's really cool. Cause like nobody mm-hmm. cares. Right. Mm-hmm. But very uh, few yeah. get there. Very few get there. I mean, there's like a a couple, especially in beverage that are coming to mind, you know, crime, liquid death, like very different like personas or, you know, customers, but like they've really created this unbelievable hype where it's, it's almost like fashionable to be seen with the product. What do you think was behind Olipop's like, like special sauce there, like with brand? And how do you think that ties into customer experience? A couple of things that I would say, and again, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't been in the Olipop in the Olipop sauce for almost two years, but I will say that anyone on the Olipop team will say there's a lot of luck. You know, there, there's a lot of luck. If they launched and if they launched Olipop a decade ago, I, I don't think we'd see the same story. It's a convergence of people being excited about health post COVID. They've done a fantastic job of marketing the indulgence aspect of it. So it's not just a beverage you drink. It's a, it's a time of day you enjoy. It's, it's the moment that you get away from your kid with, with a glass full of ice and, and an Olipop. Like that's, that's a moment. But I think from a, from a culture perspective, we talk a lot about moving, moving fast and breaking things. Very few brands can actually say they've done that. Like it's, it's something we say, but then when somebody spends $10,000 on, on an activation, it's a complete mess. We, we get really angry at them. Olipop took that and ran with it in a real way. Like they have tried things that, you know, some failed miserably. Some were absolutely incredible. Like I can think of a few that were a tremendous waste of money and others that it took off beyond anyone's wildest imagination. Steven, who like leads growth there is just an incredible mind and is always thinking like, how crazy would it be if we did X? No brands get to this because no brands are willing to take the risk. People prefer mm. to copy. People prefer to just like, oh, they did X. Let's do that. And that's, it's usually lame. And, and again, the important thing is the space, right? Like Olipop wouldn't be Olipop without their competitors, the same way Coke wouldn't be Coke without Pepsi and vice versa. So it's important, like, you know, health aid, kombucha, the kombucha space going down was also into, you know, integral on this like moment for functional soda. But yeah, great team. I mean, culture wise, one, one of the best cultures I've, I've been a part of people that genuinely care about this broader mission of like, you know, sodas like 90 something percent household penetration. Can we give people similar flavors that isn't terrible for you and a whole lot of luck? 
Awesome. So Eli, you, you know, speak extensively about customer experience and, you know, obviously have a, a lot of experience, you know, working in that role at, at different brands. Like what are some of the, the key tenants, especially, you know, as an omni-channel brand that you think are important for all brands to be thinking about across, across those different touch points? In the last two years, I've probably spoken to a hundred plus brands. And the one common thing is that almost everyone is cocky. Almost everyone thinks they know the answer and almost everyone is looking for a playbook. And the reality is, is that most brands cannot speak to what their customers hate and love about their product. They just talk completely from their POV. They say like, oh, people love my product because X. And if you talk to their customers, most of them don't even know half the things they're talking about. I think that's the biggest problem. If I were to have you know advice to founders, something I learned over the last year was, talking to customers, you learn a lot more than you think you would. You know, we had a certain persona in mind is like what our customers looked like. And I spoke to a customer who like lives 50 miles away from the closest gas station and drives NASCAR cars on the weekend. Like that was not our kind of like persona for Jones Road that we had in mind. And I think similarly with Olipop, like we learned a lot from talking to people. Like we didn't think Olipop was going to be a Walmart soda that's crushing in Oklahoma. And it is, right? So I think there's a lot to be to be learned. That's number one. It's like most people don't really have a clue what their customers love and hate about their product. So they're just kind of building with their eyes closed. The second thing I'll say is is convergence of CX and retention is is what I've spent my career talking about. But I still think there's a huge gap in, in understanding as to like customer experience is not just the support channel. Customer experience is every part of the journey which has been spoken over and over. But the reality is like the most important part of retention is acquiring the right customer, right? Like if I acquire a customer that hates soda, it's going to be really hard to get them to repurchase root beer, but I did well on acquiring them. They'll just never purchase again because they absolutely hate it. So I think that that's those two teams working very closely together is, is probably the future of retention. And it makes the CX team's job a lot easier when you're not, selling, you know, selling people the the bridge that doesn't exist. So do you think that they should roll up to marketing? Because I think, you know, what is like the ideal org structure there? Because I am not sure. I think I've seen it work both ways. I've seen, you know, CX roll into ops. I've seen CX roll into marketing. I think the most important, (laughs) the most important thing is that CX should roll into people with humility it should roll into a, a part of the org where they deeply understand that they don't know what they don't know. And I think I think something I've seen work really well in businesses is this combination of humility and, and curiosity. I think those two things make for a really, really good CX environment where you're like, I don't know anything. I want to learn a lot. How can I leverage the insights from the customers? And I think more importantly, you know, having them close to other teams, like, the CX being near, like being near the person that's sending those retention emails, obviously insanely important because you don't know what problems you're addressing, what, you know, like you don't know what you're addressing if you're not talking to the people that are talking to the customers as far as like marketing, right? Like what campaign are you, are you putting out on the, on the billboards or on the train? If you don't have a clue what your customers are excited about mm-hmm. on the upside is like, this box is really annoying because like, I can't open it. You're not going to know that if you're not near CX. So I think there's, Again, I've been at the smaller companies and I've seen just CX being in all those rooms being so important. So I think that's more important than like where they sit in the office. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Makes sense. 
So topical focus, something that you feel passionately about, you know, why is this so important to you? I think that I've continued to learn that the bar is really low. I continue to learn as a customer, almost every single brand I interact with, the support is so awful. I reached out to a brand yesterday asking them, hey, I'm trying to buy this sweatshirt. What's your return policy? The first email response I got was a link to their return policy. The the return policy on their website didn't actually say the amount of days. It just said like, click on this link. And if you can return it, then great. If not, (laughs) you're up the creek. And I said, how many days? I had to ask the same question three times to get that response. And that's like, a very basic question they're probably fielding pretty often. So I, th- I think the bar is really low, which makes me feel like when I was jumping into this universe, you know, growth was a great, like if I learned how to run Facebook ads in 2015, I could have made a really great living for myself. If I focused on ops, which I was doing, I could have done really well. I was excited about CX because I think CX and retention were two parts of the org that were just slept on. Mm-hmm. We were living in this beautiful world of, of you spend a dollar, you get three. And now we're seeing the importance of it. And I think just Zappos and Chewy being like world famous for like putting the customer first when almost every other brand was like, yeah, whatever. Like we'll just acquire a new one. So I'm passionate about A, because I'm a difficult customer and I can't stand a a negative experience. B, I love hospitality and I I love the convergence of like hospitality and, and customer experience. Like I think we have a lot to learn from restaurants, hotels, airlines, some of them. And it's just like, I feel like there's so much to do here. Why do you think that so many brands I do such a crappy job here? It's expensive. Like it, it's expensive to hire great people. It's expensive to give a shit. I think that there's this massive misconception that in order to provide great customer experience, you have to like refund every order whenever anyone complains, reship when it gets lost. And I think there's there's a massive gap in in understanding. If somebody reaches out and says, Hey, I just ordered this product, I've been waiting four days, it's still not processed. It's still not on the way. You shouldn't be refunding them. You shouldn't be shipping them a new product. You should be empathizing. You should have a little bit of empathy and say, hey, where did I mess up? Right? Because when I order something on a, on whatever app and four days later, I don't get tracking, I don't have an expectation because they told me it'll take four to six business days to ship. And that kind of sucks, but I knew it before I ordered it. When mm-hmm. you say free two-day delivery, they don't want a refund. They just wanted proper communication from the get-go. And I think that's like the the, the thing that people don't understand is they think it's super expensive. I spoke to a, a brand the other day and he's selling glasses online. And, and he was like, yeah, I'm working on emails and flows. And they said, like, do me a favor. Take, it, take a note on your phone and write a quick message and just throw it into Clavio as a plain text email and send it to people that... It took more than three days to process and say, hey, I'm the co-founder. I'm reaching out because I know you ordered from this drop and it's taking more time than I thought. And I'm so sorry. And three hours later, he sends me a reply and he's like, wow, that was incredible. Like most people had great feedback. And I'm like, that took you three seconds. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the big gap is I think people think it takes a lot more than it does. And it's just, it's just communication and empathy is like kind of the first step. Okay. So lightning round, a couple of quick questions and answers. So. Sweet. Favorite omni-channel brand? Olipop. Thing you wish you could change about our industry? More humility. Favorite podcast? I have been listening to Val Geisler's Ecom Marketing School. I haven't, I haven't listened to that one. Favorite newsletter? This is maybe not fully e-commerce, but I Jack Rains has a newsletter called Young Money, which is like more so about finance and careers, but he's a great writer and I, I really enjoy reading it. That's great. Favorite social media channel? Gosh, Twitter. I guess X, formerly known as Twitter. Right. <laughs> Favorite book? Oh, God. 
So there's this guy, his name is Jerry Colonna. He was the co-founder of Flatiron Ventures with, I can't remember his name. He was a VC early on, had incredible success, and then decided to go into coaching. And he wrote a book called Reboot. Uh, I think it was released in 2019. He had a podcast for a while. He has a new book coming out. And, and the premise of Reboot is essentially, in order to become a better leader, you have to become a better human being. And it's, it's you know, about radical self-inquiry. And I think he's just a fantastic writer. It's like, it hits you in all the spots. And it's a, it's a great book for anyone that's leading people or leading teams or leading things. I like that about just being yeah. a good human event that you're excited to go to this year. Okay. I don't leave my house much, period. I was at, I'm trying to think where I was this year. I went to the Marketing Millennials Conference in Austin. How that was, was probably that? the that only was event. new this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was probably the only event I've gone to this year. It was fun. It was nice. I spoke about retention. So it was a great opportunity for me to get on a hill and, and scream, but it was fun. It was, it was a fun one. I don't know where else I'm going this year, but I guess the year's almost over. It is. I know it's, it's wild how it's wrapping up. Where can people connect with you? LinkedIn or Twitter. It's on Twitter. It's Eli Weiss with an extra S. So E-L-I-W-E-I-S-S-S. And LinkedIn, it's Eli Weiss. And yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, Eli, it was so great to, you know, learn more about your story and kind of the intersection of CX retention and, you know, how to do that across Omnichannel. Thank you so much. It was great to have you. Thank you, Kit. If you liked this podcast, follow me and The Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really loved today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Thanks for listening.